Welcome to the Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove. Today, we're going to talk about the international sustainable fashion movement. Fashion, the clothing you and I are wearing right now, has a surprisingly large impact on our environment and our climate systems. The recent environmental impact of global apparel and footwear industry study by Qantas reported that the fashion industry is responsible for over 8% of all global greenhouse gas emissions. That's a lot. And there are other studies showing that number as high as 10%. The EPA reports that the industrial sector as a whole is responsible for just 21% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So we're talking about just one industry out of hundreds, the fashion industry, being responsible for 40 to 50% of all global industrial greenhouse gas emissions. That's more than the entire aviation and shipping industries combined. That's more than the total greenhouse gas emissions of Russia. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Most of our climbing of our clothing today is made out of petro textiles. That's right, petro as in petroleum. Check the label on the clothes you're wearing right now. Most of what you're wearing is fossil fuel. Textiles like polyester, rayon, nylon, acrylic are all made out of refined crude oil. Petro textiles are like plastics. They can take up to 600 years to break down in our landfills. And when washed, Petrotextiles release what is now estimated to be 1.4 quadrillion microfibers into our oceans. 1.4 quadrillion. That's a number followed by 15 zeros. The fashion industry is also responsible for 20% of global industrial water pollution, not to mention the severe and ongoing human rights and labor violations associated with sewing sweatshops around the world. This combination of cheap petroleum-based textiles and cheap abusive labor practices has given rise to what is called fast fashion, an industry of cheap, poorly made, throwaway clothing that in turn has led to a massive environmental deluge of micropollutants and overflowing landfills. 60% of all new clothing ends up in a landfill within a year, and the United States alone throws away 14 billion tons of clothing annually. And 98% of all clothing donated, donated to resale shops is bailed up and shipped to landfills in Asia and South America. Those are really, really big numbers. So there's a lot of problems with the clothing we wear. Fortunately, there are simple, effective solutions and a growing international network of activists are promoting sustainable fashion options, such as repurposing and upcycling used clothing and using sustainable textiles like linen, hemp, and organic cotton for new clothing. We're joined today on Zoom by Francisca Gajardo, sustainable fashion designer and creator of the upcycling brand Yang. Hi, Fran. Hey, Bob. Thank you for the invitation. Carolina Gaetan Montoya, founder of La Cortesana. Hi, Carolina. Hi, Bob. Thank you for this, the invitation, too. Eileen Bobowski, executive director of the Sewing Labs. Hi, Eileen. Hi, Bob. Thanks so much for having me. Laura Treese, founder of Fashion Tech KC. Hi, Laura. Hi, thank you so much for including me in this discussion. Beth Sarber, president of the Kansas City Restoration School. Hi, Beth. Hello, I'm honored to be here. And Diego Sandoval, program officer for the International Research and Exchanges Board. Hi, Diego. Hey, Bob, happy to be here. I'd like to start with Fran, who has the dubious honor of living, living near a clothing landfill in Santiago, Chile. 
This is one of those international landfills that receives part of that 14 billion tons of clothing discarded by Americans each year. Fran, you've created the upcycling label YANG, which stands for You Are the Next Generation. Did, did Santiago's le- landfill play a role in you creating this upcycling brand? Yes, a little correction. Uh, the landfill mm-hmm. is in the north of Chile. Santiago is the capital of Chile that is in the middle. So the landfill is in the north where my hometown is, Iquique. Um, uh, and Alto Spicio. No problem. In Alto Spicio. So basically in Chile and in also America, it exists this culture of second, uh, buying secondhand clothes. And we call it buying American clothes. So it's normal that on a Sunday you go to the street market with your family, your friends and go and grab whatever you find in the there's basically people put bed sheets on the floor in the streets and you can buy garments for 50 cents, 20 cents. I have bought uh, Prada bags for three dollars, uh, Benetton bags for 30 cents, shoes for 10 cents, super cheap. Um, this uh, when I was studying fashion design, I realized that I was doing new garments uh, with fabrics that pollute the environment to create uh, and sell these garments as necessities for the customer, necessities that they don't really, they're not real necessities to take their money for at the end, this um, extracted material resources transform into clothing, end up in, an, in, a, in the landfill, landfill that is right next to my hometown. Um, did you know that every second, the equivalent of a garbage truck full of clothes is thrown away in a landfill or burned every second. So when I was going through the street markets, when I finished my my bachelor degree, and I was going through um, all these fast fashion shops, and I understood how the fashion system worked, I realized that I didn't want it to take part of it. So that that is why I started recycling or upcycling the garments that I found in the in the secondhand markets. Really cool old vintage stuff that I thought, well, this dress doesn't fit me, but I can make maybe a pair of pants with it or a two-piece outfit. Uh, so when I started doing that um, around 2017, 2016, um, this work was quite new in my country. There was just a handful of people doing this. So I sort of became a pioneer in upcycling in Chile. And eventually I started doing workshops because people were so drawn to what, what I was doing. Uh, they were saying, how is that this short that looks really bo- boring can be turned into this really cool jacket? Um, so I, uh, people started asking me for workshops. So I started doing them. I was able to organize my knowledge, organize the different skills, the different ways of transforming the garments. I show my work in national and international um, runways, um, like in Germany. I have shown my work in Miami, in London. Now I'm showing it in Kansas City. And after doing my workshops, because I realized that I can make a bigger impact by teaching people this than just by keeping my knowledge for myself and selling products. The whole goal is to expand this movement and to empower people by uh, with this skill so they can do the same and follow the sustainable path. Um, I realized that uh, even though there's a lot that still needs to be done, um, it's nice to connect with people that have the same beliefs and that we can build communities, not, los- not just locally, but internationally. In South America, we have a, a community called Supra, 
super recicladores. That is the decolonized word for upcycling. And we are people in um, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, all around South America. We have uh, gatherings, online gatherings. We do workshops. We do, uh, my colleagues did festivals. So the whole thing is trying to build in South America and in Chile that is such a big um, place that where all this phenomenon of upcycling is happening to position ourselves as what we are, pioneers in working with, sadly, with working with the first world garbage. Um, we are solving a lot of the, the first world uh, problems. And even though the first world focuses in doing more sustainable fabrics or biotechs and stuff like that, there's no real change in the behaviors. So what is the purpose of doing more sustainable fabrics if you don't deconstruct the way you consume, the way you produce? You can debalance de the whole ecosystem. Imagine you're doing this really cool leather made out of mushrooms or cool uh, uh, garments made out of pineapple, etc. Um, what if we still consuming and producing the same way? We, are, we can create a chaos in nature. So we need to degrowth. We need, we need to go back to how it was before when our moms or grandmas were doing all their clothes, mending everything, making it last instead of just buying and buying for what? To fill this necessity, this emptiness that we have inside that capitalism has created. You know, slow fashion, kind of the opposite of fast fashion where we're, we're dealing exactly. with clothing that we keep for a long period. Um, so you're, you're, it's interesting, you, you've almost, it sounds like you've created a market out of the landfills. You know, the, the, you yeah. talk about the American markets and that's clothing that's been pulled out of the landfill and re, resold locally. So the, mark, the big landfill that uh, there's in, in the north, um, basically it's, it, it's the garbage that enters into the country. So you have different types of selection of secondhand clothes. You have first category, second category, third category, and then the garbage clothes. First category, people that resell in vintage stores in the country buy these kind of bundles. Then you have second categories that people that sell in street markets, for example, buy these bundles. That so they might have a defect, a little uh, detail. They're not in perfect conditions, but people buy them in secondhand markets because it can still be reused. Then you have third category that is a little bit low quality and then garbage. These garbage garments, you can rescue maybe eight out of a hundred garments. So... Uh, people, there's different types of markets for each category and each type of garment, but the clothes that arrive to the landfill, uh, people from there, the same community or from the same city, come to the landfill and grab what it's, um, it's it can be resold, it can be resold, and it goes to the street market nearby. Um, but that, that is how it works, basically. Uh, so there's a whole culture of secondhand buying and selling uh, of, of these clothes that enters to the country. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop in the landfill because from the because my hometown is a tax free zone. Everything enters through the port of my hometown. And from there enters all all these clothes enters and it actually sometimes gets reshipped to other countries or it goes through illegal um, passages in the borders and goes to places like Bolivia and stuff like that. And you can even go in the in the highway and see clothes in the in like in the like around all these illegal landfills, micro landfills and stuff like that. So it doesn't even stop there. Imagine you buy something in Europe 
or in, in the States, then it goes through it goes to a friend or it goes to a thrift shop or it goes to a charity shop. Then it got, it gets shipped and goes to Chile. Then from Chile, it can, it can go to the street markets or it can go to illegally to another country, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a really complex system that goes, it, it looks like it doesn't stop. Yeah, I, I hear, um, especially um, fast fashion, you know, th those retailers argue that, you know, shipping our used clothing to other countries is a benefit for them. You know, they describe the markets you're talking about and how that's cheap clothing for, you know, your people and and how that's kind of a benefit. But I'm I'm sensing that that's I mean it's there, but there must be some real environmental damage that all of those landfills are doing. Do you yeah, have so, some sense? Yeah. yeah. So basically, I went directly. I visited the landfills and um, the, like you said, the most of the clothes are made from plastic. Um, plastic takes a long time to uh, break down and there's a lot of toxic chemicals because it's in the desert, it's hot. It, the, the cause is always hot. There's a high risk of, of fires. Um, I was there for two hours and after 15 minutes, my chest started to close because of all because all the things that I was breathing there. And I got a rash in my skin because the second day I was without a protective suit and I just jumped in the landfill, was like taking pictures of the tags that I was finding. Of course, I found like Nike, Ralph Lauren, Tommy, and H&M, um, et cetera. So I looked through, by looking all of these tags, I, my hands started to itch and I started getting all these like, weird rash in my hand that I washed it out I washed it out and I put some um this disinfectant stuff and after an hour or two it it leave me but yeah so it's quite it's quite toxic it's damaging for the environment and for the for the culture as well because these big brands they kind of wash their hands saying this they they should be taking care of uh the end uh the the end of life of the product they don't know the impact that they're creating in the communities that their garments are arriving. And as well, yes, we can have solutions in our country because solutions come, come from locality and from the local problems. But is it okay that we are doing, I, we are creating these solutions? It's not changing the root problem. Yes, we, are, we have local economies. Yes, uh, women are able to buy these bundles. Women, men, everyone can buy these bundles and try to have an econ economic opportunity to grow and feed their families. But is this the right way? Um, maybe there should be more support from these brands or from the governments that are selling these garments to help the communities that are thriving with this to thrive better. It's the same way when a fast fashion brand comes to a third world country, subcontracts uh, an atelier, uh, a workshop, um, and it says, well, we're bringing, you, we're bringing you work. We're paying you a salary that before you didn't have, but they're exploiting the people and paying less of what they should be receive for, for a monthly payment. So it's super tricky when they say that um, mm -hmm. it's never, it's the way that they, it's the way to protect them, it's the way that they use to protect themselves, but it's mostly washing their hands from what they're doing. Yes, absolutely. You're talking about um, working conditions now. And Carolina, you live in Colombia, South America, and your company, La Cortesana, kind of addresses these sweatshop showing conditions by connecting individual clothing makers from around the world with buyers of sustainable fashion. Um, I'm curious, are there sweatshops in Colombia? Yes, they are. 
Um, we have a lot. And actually, there's not only in Colombia, but South America, Latin America, the Caribbean. There is a lot of um, huge manufacturers and small ones. You start your, your company to kind of make a connection. And was it the sweatshops that prompted you to do that? What, what led you to start La Cortesana? Okay, uh, I studied fashion design. Um, and as every fashion designer, I was falling in love with this idea of having my own brand and showing my creations. But while I was studying and when I created the brand, I discovered the real um, environment and ecosystem behind the textile products that we use. Not only, not only for fashion, but for many things that we use daily. I found uh, a lot of people, humans being humans, uh, doing the garments because we don't have a lot of information. We imagine there's machines there anywhere just making garments. And there's no even one machine that could make an entire garment in the, in the market. There's no. Uh, you need humans to do it. And not only that, you need people prepare to do it for every specific product. So it's not the same people that make uh, garments for babies, uh, the ones who do it for women, special occasions, men, uniforms. Um, there's this huge specialization of every single product in the industry. And I found these people when I was running my, my own brand and I said, wow, I never imagined that the industry works this way. And a part of it, I found that most of the manufacturers were located in family homes. They were not in these huge manufacturers that we imagine, but from one home, there could be uh, going out a thousand of pieces per week made from a family. Uh, so it was a huge wake-up call <laughs> that I found for this textile industry, textile and fashion industry. And I also found it very disconnected. So there's this huge problems, problem that brands and companies have to try to connect with these uh, manufacturers because they don't know where they are, who they are, their specialization. And this is not a problem that we have only in Latin America, but this is a problem that we have worldwide. So um, that's how, that was one of my, insights that I had to, to create this mobile application. In La Cortesana, we have a mobile application where, where we invite these manufacturers, also retailers, brands, and uh, suppliers for fabrics, machines, equipment, to have their own profile and show what they do, where they do, have a score of their services and also comments for other service for other customers. And with the platform, what we do is try to connect them faster and better with brands, companies, and entrepreneurs who are looking for the services. I actually found how technology could help a lot of the problems that we face daily in the in this industry. When you when you were trying to develop your brand and you're trying to find makers for yourself, I mean, were you looking just in Colombia or were you looking at options around the world? Uh, when I when I started my brand, I started the brand in Argentina, and I was looking in Argentina, 
And I, before I developed the mobile application, I, de- I developed a co-working space, textile co-working space. So in order to resolve the problem that I was that I was facing, and we rent instead of renting offices, we rent equipment, tools, anything that people need to do any kind of any kind of, any kind of textile product. So when I launched this project, I received a lot of mails from everyone around the world. It was not only from Argentina, but people from Europe, eh, Colombia, Mexico, Peru, Ecuador, Venezuela, United States. They found that this connection, this place that connects better, could help what they were needing. So I started to look for my own brand in Argentina, but after I developed the co-working space and everything, I found that this need was everywhere. So the, so the people that are reaching out are coming through you to find the makers of sores. Are these large companies, small companies, individuals? We have individual, individuals. We have um, brands, uh, emerging brands. We have huge companies, huge companies, because huge companies, um, most of them outsource their manufacturer service. So they look also for these small manufacturers located in family homes to try to resolve what they need. So uh, we have a lot of people in any size of business coming to, to La Cortesana to try to resolve what they need. And not only for these manufacturers, but also looking for people who want to work, who want to work in the in their own manufacturers, because there's still manufacturers, of course, and and they have the need of people. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the, the industry has a good potential for economic development because there's this huge need of people who want to work with us. <laughs> yeah, no. So instead of reaching out to the large sweatshops or whatever to mass produce something, it sounds like a business or an individual can reach through your network to find these, what I'm hearing are smaller, maybe home-based family craftsmen but still, you're talking about homes that can turn out a thousand garments a week. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you can still do fairly high volume. It doesn't have to be a sweatshop. Um, how do you address, um, I mean, pay issues, things like that? I'm assuming your products are going to be a little bit more expensive than the sweatshops. Um, the, good, the unbelievable thing of the industry is that we have so much things to work on <laughs> the, and we are just starting because what we are doing is trying to visualize these people and connect them to try to provide like a community where they can learn from other people that they also know in the community because most of them, they don't know how, how much they have to charge, what is the value of their work, uh, if what they do, it's important or not, because this is like a social issue that we have, that we consider this is not a profession, and this is a profession. You have to be, you have to have a lot of knowledge, and a part of it, you have to do a specialization of one product, and you have to spend decades to try to be the best. So, and the one that and not not everyone could do sit down in front of a machine and do a cloth uh, a piece of 
garment is like some most of the people they don't like they don't feel there's you have to be a special to to be working here like a doctor like a lawyer like a accountant so we address a lot of issues but i believe that visualizing these people and connecting them could provide the space to talk about prices, uh, better work opportunities, better work conditions, but we have to go step by step. Better conditions, better quality. So mm -hmm. yeah, I see a lot of advantages. That's really great. You're listening to The Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove. We're speaking with Francisca Guajardo, Carolina Gaitan Montoya, Eileen Bobowski, Laura Trees, Beth Sarber, and Diego Sandoval about the international sustainable fashion movement. Both Fran and Carolina are in the United States as part of the Young Leaders of the Americas Initiative Professional Fellows Program. That's a long name, but this is a program sponsored by the United States State Department and administered by IREX. Um, Diego, you're a program officer with IREX. Can you tell us how your program works and how that brought Carolina and Francisca to America? Of course, Bob, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, Francisca and Carolina are two representatives uh, included in our annual cohort, which is up to 280 entrepreneurs uh, competitively selected uh, across 37 different countries. And all those 37 different countries are just in the Western Hemisphere. So coming into the program, I didn't know the Western Hemisphere had that many countries, but we do an extensive search uh, to identify uh, young leaders such as uh, Francisca and Carolina. Um, and we do that effort um, to go beyond your typical uh, top five universities in the capital city. We really try to go extensively uh, in our search for these young leaders uh, who might be uh, in underrepresented communities. Uh, and we, we achieve that through partnerships with uh, local universities, accelerators, um, nonprofits in those countries, uh, as well as uh, collaborating with our local embassies uh, in those countries and, and sourcing these fellows. So uh, there's an extensive search that goes through um, identifying these fellows, inviting them to apply. Um, and then once they're selected, uh, they're part of this, uh, I'm sorry for some background noise, but um, once they're selected, uh, we end up with an extensive uh, database of all of these leaders and the different countries they, uh, and, and sectors they represent. So they represent 37 countries, but they also represent 15 different business sectors. Um, within those business sectors, there's a lot of overlap. So when we talk about climate change, uh, I could give you examples of entrepreneurs like Francisca, who's under the fashion sector, or Carolina, who has an app and might be under the business services sector. But we also have uh, entrepreneurs in the real estate space. We have entrepreneurs in um, more like technology space where they created a panel, um, a very wide range of entrepreneurs who are trying to tackle the big picture problem of climate change either directly or indirectly through ed education, for example. Um, so we do uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of tracking uh, in these spaces and our responsibility as IREX is being a mediator or a connector. Uh, we really uh, try to be the person to connect the dots between those, those countries and the United States. So when we see a profile like Francisca or, or Carolina, when they apply through the program, they apply 
not just with saying, hey, this is where my business is, this is where we're at, and, and we look at that. We actually look at the business and the entrepreneur uh, uh, at the same time. So when they apply, they tell their story, they tell who they are, where they come from, what, what are their aspirations, not just with their business, but um, what are their goals in, on the, in the long term. So we have that. We use that to find um, a point of contact in the United States, whether it's a local startup, university, a business council. Um, we try to find the right person for uh, this entrepreneur to connect with. And so we call that matching. So we basically run a, a, a matching uh, process uh, in, across 20 different target cities. So we're in the Northeast, we're in the West and the South, uh, 20 target cities um, partnering with a local partner that we call a cohort ambassador. So for Kansas City, uh, that was Global Ties Kansas City, who has been a very supportive partner on the ground, helping us connect with local companies. And they also play a role in helping us uh, match our fellows to uh, companies that we might have featured on this panel as well. So. Um, all that to say uh we we don't just look at this as a one-off program uh but we really look at this as welcoming uh businesses international businesses and local u.s businesses to come together and stay involved in a regional uh network which our goals are to make it as active as possible as mutually beneficial as possible and as diverse as possible so we want to include businesses that represent the diversity of the United States, as well as uh, the different sectors they represent. So that's uh, very interesting. So I mean, you're talking a cohort of, you said around 280, you do that annually? We do that annually. Um, this is a special year because we lost 2020 in terms of we having to postpone it. So we're squeezing one in uh, this January. So we've got, uh, we've got a, quite a few coming through the pipeline. Well, that's great, and and that's the construction work aside. <laughs> um, that that's that's really exciting. It's great that you're making that connection and connecting what I what I consider activists from multiple countries and creating this international network. Now you mentioned host organizations, and I know that um, Carolina's fellowship is being hosted by Fashion Tech Kansas City. Laura, can you tell us about Fashion Tech? You're the founder of that. So I started out as a cut and sew only because 12 years ago, that was the only terminology that I knew. And then as the years went by and I started learning about small batch manufacturing, um, I've learned a lot of content, uh, how to market so that people understand what it is that I do. And over the years of helping people with their products, I learned that people actually need help from the beginning. They just might have a drawing on a paper, a rough sketch to start the pattern. And so then I switched names to Fashion Tech a couple of years ago because I got pattern software and to make things go faster. And um everyone calls and says, I want a sustainable brand. And I always have to say, that's what I practice. And I will try and um, that's the goal. Anyway, 
Um, even if I am having to talk them into doing scrunchies out of the side scraps, anything to use up until it has to be pretty small for me not to come up with something that we can do with it. And um, maybe steering them towards dead stock fabrics, which you know are overstock and there are dealers that only deal with that. And that way you're not using freshly milled textiles. Um, but my business is based on helping people launch their sewn products. And it may be just an invention or an idea and not a garment. And I've had five people get approved to pitch for Shark Tank as a startup, not to go on TV, but as a startup to watch. Uh, I've had three clients get approved for their patents. So some of my clients don't have garments, they have items. And it's been fascinating to learn this process because this is not a degree type of business. It's not taught anywhere. Only people that focus on it do it. How do when you graduate with a degree, you are not taught how to launch your own product. And I just have been immersed in the Kansas City entrepreneurial world for myself and then learned stuff from going to all of the, you know, million cups and just different organizations, talking, having coffee and lunches and lots of webinars, wherever I could find information that would help the process. And when I travel and traveling on purpose to go meet other people in the industry and asking for a meeting with them so we could talk shop. This is what I'm doing. Do you have any advice? You agreed to host Carolina you know, from Columbia. What kind of projects are you working on together? Uh, she said yesterday, there's a lot of people that come in and out and that there is a lot of people that come in and out because we're starting from the ground up and they've got approved samples so that we can move forward and, um, products all over the board. I mean, Carolina, what are you, what are you learning? I mean, what are you learning, taking away um, from your, your visit here? Okay. A part of following and helping Laura with the work that she does here and how she helps small and, and big entrepreneurs to try to resolve their needs locally, which is a huge opportunity that we, ha we have to help this climate challenge that we have. Um, a good part of this has been knowing the ecosystem, like me being aware about the ecosystem, fashion and textile ecosystem here in Kansas City. It has been wonderful to go to some local family home manufacturers and know how they are. They have, as it is in Latin America, their small manufacturers in their gar garage. And it has been wonderful to try to see brands and companies. Laura has been taking me everywhere <laughs> that she could possibly take me to try to help me understand how the business work here. And it has been amazing because we work the same way everywhere. This has something that connect us very quickly and actually help us to be very conscious about that. If we have a solution, for example, Fran in Chile or me in Colombia, 
we could spread it to the world because there is the need everywhere, which is a huge opportunity we are learning from this experience. France Fellowship is being hosted by the Sewing Labs. Eileen, do you want to tell us just a little bit about Sewing Labs? Sure, absolutely. Thanks so much. So the Sewing Labs is a local nonprofit. We're a welcoming and inclusive community teaching the legacy of sewing for employment, for entrepreneurship, and for enrichment. Um, so many of the schools here in the United States don't focus on sewing like they used to 40 or 50 years ago. It's a life skill we feel that's not really being taught. Um, and so there's a real grassroots effort um, that uh, is being brought back because one of the things that Carolina touched on is there's very little automation in sewing. You still need a person to manage the flimsiness of fabric. And so we've realized that it is a pathway out of poverty or a pathway to financial dignity by training people to sew for workforce development. And here in the Kansas City community, there's numerous businesses. We're flooded with those businesses seeking to hire trained stitchers. Um, Fashion Tech KC is one of those um, organizations that has hired graduates from our program. Um, and it's all different kinds of, of things that need to be sewn. It's not just garments, um, but it's uh, awning companies and boat cover companies and upholstery companies and medical compression garment companies and the construction industry. That was a fascinating one that came to us recently. They need catch-alls for scissor lifts that are, it's a sewn product. There's just such a variety when you stop and look around yourself. There's so many things in our world that are sewn. Sit in your car next time and look around at all the things in your car that are sewn or your so you're home. You're doing a lot of education, teaching people how to sew. Um, what's Fran? I mean, how is she doing? What, what kind of projects <laughs> are you guys working on together? Yeah, absolutely. So one of our founding principles came from remnants. We had so many remnants and our founders didn't want those to go into a landfill. So we accept a whole bunch of fabric and we recycle and upcycle and repurpose that fabric. And so part of our um, fellowship with Fran is for her to teach people, how do I deconstruct a garment? How do I upcycle it into a new garment? Um, and so that's what some of our workshops have been focused on for the past couple of weeks. We have another one uh, that's coming up. And so we're thrilled to be able to learn from Fran and Fran to learn from us and, and understand how we're helping people that uh, in some situations may come from at-risk um, situations or the underserved and um, how the, the skill of sewing is really lifting people up. Fran, what, what are you finding here with, with the Sewing Labs? Oh, I'm just so grateful. I find it such an inspiring place. Uh, it's, I, have, I think I've never been in such a beautiful workshop where you can just let your creativity go. I'm doing sometimes admin work for my own brand here in one of the tables and I take a break and I start sewing something for myself and I start making color palettes or oh, I can make myself a bag or something. Uh, it's just amazing. And I'm really surprised by the community living that it, there's here. It's, it's not just the team of the sewing labs that it's a family. It's also the people that come here. They all become, they can became a family just by overhearing while, I, while I'm working on the computer, um, how they share, how they tell their stories, how they uh, support each other, how they give advice each other. 
it's really really beautiful and how they empower themselves how happy they they the, the teachers here get when some of their students get the job that what that, that they wanted that that's what the reason why they've been going through the program or how much effort they put in the fundraisers and how many people in Kansas City I don't know if it's just Kansas City the people that's Sports, uh, the sewing labs, but all the it's out um, exterior uh, uh, act, actors that are are helping, like just by donating tables maybe or sewing machines or things that they can um, uh, sell in the fundraisers. Uh, so it's it's been it's been amazing. I'm just learning way too much. <laughs> I know one of the, one of the connections you made while you're here is with Beth Sarber, who's president of the Kansas City Restoration School. I understand you have a uh, a fashion project coming up there. Do you want to talk about that, Beth? Sure. It's been um, awesome to connect with Fran, and I'm looking forward this Saturday um, to a youth uh, fashion upcycling workshop. And one of the things that we are seeking to do at our school, at the Kansas City Restoration School, is to teach and um, embody the the consciousness of our resources. And so the way that we use the resources, the way that we recycle them. Um, so this is, we actually have several students who are really interested in fashion and have already been, um, we're a self-directed learning community. So our students really have a lot of freedom and responsibility for creating their own learning journeys. And I'm so excited to bring um, the wisdom of upcycling uh, to our community of youth, um, but also, you know, as individually, as a person who has always loved fashion, I really struggle to justify purchasing anything brand new anymore, even underwear. I think, gosh, I should recycle my t-shirts and turn them into my own, you know, undergarments and I've watched YouTube videos. I haven't quite gotten there yet, but through this connection with Fran and learning about the sewing lab, I know that uh, in the near future, the inspiration that I just personally am going to take from this uh, collaboration is going to be empowering because humans really need to know how to create our own garments and fix them. And, and when we do pass them along, do so mindfully. What, what is the, the, the age, the range of, of grades in your school? We don't have grades exactly, um, but our students are 5 to uh, 20. So it's the K through 12. Right, so um, it's, it's a wide range of students, and you're introducing them to, I mean, Fran to sewing to sustainable fashion at probably a pretty young age. How, how are they? How, how are they responding to that? Are they excited? Well, one of the little guys who's going to be with us, he's five, and he is already a, a very fashion forward thinker and comes to school with like a t-shirt with the arm cut off, turned into an armband, repurposing a pair of, you know, shorts into an off the shoulder top, just really, uh, innovative and creative and you know when you're given a lot of freedom uh to express yourself you create wonderful things so i am very much looking forward to see what he creates and his big sister is also very much interested in fashion and then the others who come we still have um some space and i'm just excited to see 
what what emerges from from this workshop. So, no, and this not is just one component. Not, I mean, you, you've talked in the past about your 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 garden, you know, your recycling garden, all that kind of stuff. So you're looking at a lot of different aspects of sustainability within the school. Yeah, and I'm especially just listening to Fran um, and Carolina today, just thinking about just the, raising the awareness of the choice to purchase a new garment and what that choice does across the world. And then to get rid of that garment, um, to forget that garment and to not worry about forgetting it because you have another one at home and how much do we need? And there's just so many um, elements that um, really exemplify, you know, one of our core values, which is interdependence and really understanding how it's all connected. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've been really honored to, to just listen to everybody on this call. It's, it's a powerful responsibility we have as, as consumers. Uh, Fran, how are, how are you feeling about the, the interaction with the Restoration School? What excites you about that? I'm super excited. I've never worked with um, young communities before, like uh, kids and teenagers. Uh, it always it's a challenge for me to work with different uh, groups. And the cool thing about the workshop is that it's a workshop without sewing. So we're going to deconstruct with safety pins. We're going to bleach. We're going to work with paints uh, in different blocks of uh, three blocks. So I'm really excited to see how the kids relate to this idea of the construction or changing the aesthetic of the fabric or playing with the bleach. Um, I'm pretty sure there are gonna be a few crazy things coming out of it. And I'm really excited. And hopefully if, time, if times allows it, allows it, we're gonna do um, an intergenerational workshop combining fashion designers and elders from the Kansas City community that need some help with sewing and upcycling a few garments of their wardrobe. We're still trying to build a team. Um, Carolina is actually gonna volunteer for this program, uh, from this project. She's gonna help us uh, solve um, one of the elders' garments. So um, it's nice to work with, it's nice to work intergenerationally um, and try to spread this idea of sustainable fashion to as many corners as they can as they can get go. But uh, just going to the school, it was awesome. The classrooms, the books that they were there, just listening to Beth talk about her her vision and how she she helps these kids, how she direct not because they is self directed learning. So she guides them in a way, but they are able to go in the way and direction that they want. And I just feel that it's so empowering for kids in a young age. It's so needed instead of having this structure of this is how you have to do it. This is how you have to do it. If you don't do it, you're bad. No, everything can be however you want to interpret it. Just be persistent, patient, responsible, but be free to do whatever, like, whatever you want to learn or whatever you want to do. It's a new Thank concept you. of education. I love it. Thank you, and I want to thank the Climate Council of Greater Kansas City for sponsoring this Climate Hour. The Climate Council provides educational webinars on sustainable fashion and other climate-related topics. You can learn more about them at climategkc.org. That's climategkc.org. And I want to thank our guests for joining us today. Where can our listeners go to learn more about your work? Francisca? 
Um, where can you find my work? Yes. So you can go to my Instagram account. I Yang Y A N G, but after each letter, there's a dot, and at the end, an underscore. Thank you, Carolina. Where can people go to learn about your work? Um, the, you can go to our website. That is the main place where you can find all the information. Uh, it's lacortesana.com. And you can look for La Cortesana and download the app, the app from, from anywhere, um, from any device. But in the web page, you will find our social media and all the places that you could be part of this community. Thank you. Eileen, where do we go to learn about the Sewing Labs? Sure. Uh, we're located at the, uh, you can find us on the web at the Sewing Labs.community. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you. Laura, where do we go for Passion Tech? I'm on all the social media channels, but my Instagram has shows the most of the work. And that's Fashion Tech Kansas City, KC shortened. Um, yes. Thank you. Beth, KC Restoration School. Yeah. I mean, we're uh, at www. Uh, kcrestorationschool.org. We're located at Unity Temple on the Plaza in Kansas City. And we're on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and all the other places as well. So thank you. And Diego, where do you want to send people to learn about IREX and the YLAI program? Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, I would direct people to yli.state.gov. You can learn more about the fellowship on that website. And from there, you'll be directed to irex.org to learn more about our implementation of the program. Um, You can also follow uh, our Instagram page for YLI. If you look up the Young Leaders of the Americas Initiative, you'll see uh, a lot of the placements in action as our fellows share their stories and their pictures uh, in real time. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. We welcome your questions and feedback. You can learn more about us at climatehour.net. This is the Climate Hour. I'm your host, Bob Grove.